Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host Jack Silsha. Thanks for checking out Connecting the Diocese on this first weekend of March. I always consider March in our part of the world to be the month of patience. You know, some places like Washington, D.C., the cherry blossoms are probably coming out. In California, well, it's always California. But right here, it's always that time of year when you can't really know what's going to happen next. There's still snow on the ground. Are we going to get more? It's getting warmer. That's great. Oh my gosh, it's getting muddy. Patience, patience, patience. It's also the time of year when wedding plans begin to be drawn. There are the wedding fairs. There are ads in the papers for wedding consultants and places to buy dresses and photographers and everything you could think of surrounding a wedding. We're going to be talking a lot about that with Monsignor Robert Hunt, especially if you are planning a wedding within the Catholic Church. So stick around. This is a time to make even more plans during the month of March. We'll be right back after this on Connecting the Diocese. We are indeed now in the month of March, working our way through Lent. I mentioned last week that while most of us think about the idea of giving something up for Lent, it could be anything from peanut butter to who knows what, well, you also can do something totally different. You can add something for Lent. This could be anything from volunteering for Meals on Wheels to going to a local animal shelter and adopting a pet that was given to the shelter because the folks are now no longer working from home and they simply can't take care of it. You can restore some of the lost joy to that little dog or cat's life. But for something else that is significant but not quite a commitment as before, you could do something like this. This is the time of year when as the snow begins to recede in your neighborhood, whether it be rural or inside a city, Stuff begins to appear that got tossed out of cars or whatever before the snow came. You know, all these cans begin showing up in, in containers and bags that used to hold hamburgers and things like that. Perhaps you've got somebody in your neighborhood who really, for whatever reason, can't go and pick up all the stuff that would make their home look nicer. You can get some gloves and a good sturdy trash bag and maybe one of those sticks with a nail on the end of it and go out there and just beautify their area for them without even telling them about it and no trespass, but just along the road, things like that. So suddenly they look out and they say, gee, it looks really nice out there. I wonder how that happened. Well, you'll know how it happened. The same thing with your local church. Right about now, they're making plans to do some serious cleaning in churches, so they're really pretty for Easter Sunday. Talk to your local priest about that, when it's going to happen, what committee is in charge of it, and how you can help. Frequently, a lot of attention is given to cleaning the confessional so they look warm and inviting. So if you're having a tough time thinking about things to be giving up, think about things you can be giving to. Just take a look around with an eye to how can I help? How can I make someone's life a little bit easier during the Lenten season and maybe after? Well, I'd like to welcome back to the show after a, a fair hiatus, Monsignor Robert Hunt, Judicial Vicar for the Diocese of La Crosse, frequently found at the Marriage Tribunal offices here at the Diocese of La Crosse Center. Welcome back to the show. Great to be here with you, Jack. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked, but every once in a while we like to explain some things to people who have not been around re previously or whatever. You know, we are in the middle of Lent right now, of course, and that's our primary focus these uh, these weeks. 
But at the same time, if you look at the newspapers, all of these uh, bridal wedding fairs are going on. There have been big ones at convention centers. There are ones in small towns. There are ads with all kinds of people, you know, selling everything from flowers to uh, bridesmaid outfits to you name it. Uh, All this is going on. So there's a lot of people who are thinking about weddings and probably a year from now, things like that. So I've got some of my own family, as a matter of fact, which is very nice. But uh, when I see this going on, there are always a couple of clinks that are going on. Uh, As you know, um, uh, we've had a a fair number of people who have not only drifted away from going to church, but really uh, they kind of don't get the whole concept of what we would refer to as holy matrimony. And uh, this can cause some problems where they may come into a church and they may come up to the priest or the pastor and they say, we would like to use your church for our wedding. And I'm sure you have that happen. And sometimes you have to uh, have a bit of a talk with them about things before you can move on with it. The idea of marriage is a sacrament. And uh, as a, the first priest I ever met years ago at RCIA said, the, uh, the stranger the world gets, the stranger the Catholic Church looks to it. And, and uh, we, we have this idea of holy matrimony and the marriage being a sacrament. Monsignor, can you tell us, because people out there may be scratching their heads, what is a sacrament? Well, the traditional definition of a sacrament is that it's an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. And it's a holy sacrament of matrimony falls into that category of uh, outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. Mm-hmm. And just as a side thing, this is not to be confused with a sacramental, um, which is not in the same category. Those are some wonderful things, but they're not the same as a, as a sacrament. A sacramental is something that's been established by the church, special blessings attached to it, but uh, it's not of the same uh, spiritual power as yeah, the sacrament. Yeah, yeah. Well, power is a good word. I mean, getting married is a powerful event. <laughs> I can I can tell you that firsthand. I'll tell you, and it is important spiritually, and also, you know, there's all kinds of. Uh, of course, we've got the legal marriage things. The, one of the things we have to keep understanding is that you have uh, a marriage license from the state, and you can theoretically you can go to a, a you know a judge, or you can go to a. Um, someplace to get married with a marriage license is not the same as getting married in the church. They're parallel tracks. Uh, You have to have a marriage license to be legally married before the church will marry you. Uh, But you don't necessarily have to be married in the church to be married. And the church has got some standards. The Catholic Church, well, what, what do they want to know about you before you say, you walk in and you say, we'd like to get married. There are some uh, marital prep programs going on, things like that. But what are the first things you as a priest, if someone walked up to you and said, uh, um, Father, I, we want to get married, what are the questions you're going to ask them first? One of the first questions you're going to ask is, have you been married before? Are you married now to someone? And uh, has there been a divorce in your life? And there, Do you think that it's possible that you, for you to just go on and uh, enter into a marriage in the Catholic? church and that is obviously something that you're not going to be allowed to do and that's where you get the blank stare and they're going to say well but i was married 20 years ago we we were divorced and uh uh uh, you know i I was really young at the time and what's wrong with that 
Well, what's wrong with it is that the church sees marriage as an institution or a vocation that you enter into in which you uh, make some vows at the time of the exchange of vows, and you're going, you're saying uh, we're going to be get together for life in a relationship that's open to children, and uh, there's going to be fidelity, uh, sexual fidelity exercised by both of us uh, through the course of this, uh, our life together. And there's one thing that is not often spoken of, as far as I am aware, and that is there's almost a fourth vow which says uh, each of the people are going to commit themselves to the project of making life in marriage a good life experience for their partner. And so many times I think that's the one thing that first falls away from the practice of, or from the living out of a marriage. Two people, one or the other, or maybe both, give up on the project of making marriage a good life experience for their spouse. I love the term vocation because uh, we've talked with other folks about the, the church has all these vocations, the vocation to the priesthood the vocation to religious life. There is the vocation of the householder, and marriage is a vocation. Uh, and I love the idea of you saying to, the, uh, to help each other be better, basically. I, I can attest to that. By golly, I don't know where I would be without my wife. <laughs> I, would, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you right now. But uh, and, it, and this has been you know, quite a few decades uh, going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can understand that, that a good marriage that works well, um, uh, boy, you, you two work in, in synergy with each other and ho hopefully you can share some, some uh, religious values that are the same and you, you help each other. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's very admirable to do it. There's also uh, occasionally uh, a marriage that doesn't work out for a variety of reasons. And this is where the, the marriage uh, tribunal uh, comes in can you explain roughly why people are like they going what you're you're a judicial vicar marriage tribunal uh, this sounds like a star chamber you know uh, what what is that all about the annulment uh, proceeding is really a judicial proceeding and uh, we're looking for evidence uh, that uh, may uh, indicate that two people entered marriage without proper understanding of what they were doing, or probably entered marriage because there was a child on the way, or they entered marriage because one or the other was in the military and that one is moving off to a distant land, maybe a foreign land, and the other partner wants to go with that person. So because of the, of the, of the military involvement, uh, we decide the thing to do is get married. Then we can stay together, and besides which, uh, you'll get paid more because you are a married person. And uh, those are the kinds of things that militate against the thought that we really did have proper uh, understanding, proper discretion, proper uh, judgment uh, when we went into this uh, state of life, which is so very serious and has so many, many demands put on people, uh, demands that, they, they, that uh, 
call for persistence, for perseverance, for generosity, for humility, for just a whole range of things that make for a successful life in marriage. But if people marry only because they don't want to have their un unborn child conceived out of marriage, uh, conceived out of marriage, uh, they don't want to see that child as uh, someone without a proper name, last name, and uh, they don't want to see the child, one or the other, or maybe both of them don't want to be known as a single parent, so they decide to heal all of those problems by simply getting married. And that the, the motivation for the marriage turns out to be the child. The motivation is not that we wanted to make uh, commit ourselves to a vocation in which we are going to try to work out uh, the eternal salvation of each other and the happiness um, through the years of our marriage here. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned these things because we don't want to give the impression that the Catholic Church says every single marriage is the way it is and that's all there is to it. Um, things do happen. I remember... Uh, I met a young lady who was engaged to a guy from a, one of the Caribbean islands. I forget which one it is. And she asked me to uh, if I would photograph her wedding, which I did. And, uh, oh, you know, three or four weeks later, I, I had gotten the pictures developed. This is back before digital. And I, I saw her shopping in a department store in town. And I thought she was moving to the Caribbean. <laughs> you know, it did. She did. But when she moved there, the, the culture was so completely different that she basically was essentially ruled by the mother-in-law. I mean, this was just part of the, the matriarchal tradition that they had, and it was absolutely nothing they had discussed culturally before they got married. They had, you know, there was just no, no discussion as to where are we going, what are we going to do, what is life going to be like? And... Uh, there's lots of things like that to go on. You find out that somebody is not financially stable or they have other personal problems, things like that that crop up. And sometimes it's just youth, you know, just getting married too young. Um, but the thing is, you, you can't just check off a box at the marriage tribunal that says, well, why did you get divorced? Well, check off. It didn't work. That that isn't going to happen. Uh, my wife has gone through this. She was previously married. And it, it was both a, uh, at first, you know, kind of a creepy thing. I mean, we, what, what are we doing? But actually, it did help her fully understand the uh, the factors that were involved in that particular marriage not really being um, whole or connected or whatever words you want to use. And so a lot of women who go through this, or men, this is both, uh, uh, will discover that the process is, uh, is somewhat liberating. They finally really understand why it didn't work out the way it did. How, how does this work? Now, this is all done very confidentially. I must tell you, the people at the marriage tribunal, <laughs> they do not talk at the at the water cooler about, boy, you ought to hear about this one. It, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's very confidential and very serious, and uh, it's very caring as well. What's the first step? They call it an annulment. Uh, what's the first step towards getting into that whole situation? Well, the first step would be normally that uh, the person would go to the parish priest if they're associated with the parish or probably go to the parish priest of the uh, 
party that's not been divorced, but that party does not want to marry someone outside the church, so the party takes the uh, intended to the parish priest, and they, they fill out something called the preliminary form for the possibility of a declaration of nullity. That's the first step. Now, we have these uh, forms, they're all online, and we get quite a number of cases these days where no priest has been involved. They, they found the forms online and filled them out and send them to us. And uh, our, one of our first uh, jobs then is to locate where this came from and what the priest in the area, who the priest in the area might be, and uh, inform him that uh, this thing is going on. Uh, in his territory, his parish, uh, yes, in his parish. So, um, but you know, uh, one of the things that uh, is so revelatory of what's going on in our society at the present moment, they talk about what, what the people th think about and plan and that sort of thing, and so many of the marriage situations that we see are courtships that have been totally built around a sexual relationship. And there has been very little uh, involvement in terms of serious talking about what are the plans for the marriage, what are our goals, what are our desires, what are, and that manner of thing. And then, of course, the relationship built almost totally on sexual uh, interest. Uh, nature takes its course in so many instances, and you end up with a pregnancy and then the necessity of healing this uh, situation of the, un, uh, of the pregnancy outside of marriage. And so many determine that, well, we will take care of these problems which we are generated for ourselves. We'll take care of these problems by getting married. And what they're doing with that in our experience is that they've just uh, entered into a whole new realm of trouble and problems that are greater than the ones they left behind. The ones they think they left behind, at least. Obviously, uh, the marriage business in the secular world has always been a big deal. I mean, there's always been money to be made and monetizing everything you could think of. Uh, it seems like in the past 10, 15 years, though, um, it has gone berserk. Uh, I used to think, you know, at one time that... The, some of these people are, are spending so much money on the wedding that it would actually be a, a down payment on a house. And, uh, you know, that I just, I'm just so startled. I had a little simple country wedding, you know, I mean, we, were, we just got married and it was very nice. It was lovely. But we, we were not dropping, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on a house payment only. It wasn't a house, it was a party. Uh, and now, you know, the thing, again, I sit back like, gosh, I can't believe this. Destination weddings, where you're going to go to someplace that you think is really cool, and you expect your wedding party to also fly there as well. And again, this isn't like we're going to a particular church we've always loved. This is called, we're going to Aruba. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, I mean, it used to be it was corny enough to go to Las Vegas and have someone dressed as Elvis marrying you. But uh, this the whole this idea of getting people to, from, you know, to go through quite an expense to go to your wedding at a distance. And again, removed completely from getting married in the church where you grew up 
or you know or a church or or yeah, it's very strange i've just you get to see how uh, we have uh, the people who want to monetize marriage have done a really good job and frankly with social media and all this there's now this pressure to put on a show and people are doing handstands going down the aisles so they can do a youtube video and i'm thinking to myself you know sacrament sacrament <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I got married in 1983 and I can close my eyes and see my wife calmly holding a bouquet coming down that aisle like it happened two days ago. You know, I would much rather have that memory in my head than, oh, look, they're doing handstands in the aisle. <laughs> you know? uh, maybe it's just that, that everything now has become Hollywoodized. Everything has become sensationalized. And uh, uh, at the same time, Again, your opening comments about the purpose of marriage, the vocation, is for you to build on each other's lives and improve them. Uh, this seems really divergent from, from what's going on. And I don't know, as, as a priest and as a person who just gets to see this whole scene, the good ends of it and the bad ends of it, I don't know how you react to all this, seeing it around you. Well, <laughs> how do one react? One reacts by saying, what are we coming to in this country of ours? And what has happened to people's sense of, uh, of that which is appropriate for something so significant in people's lives at the moment when they choose this particular person and to give themselves to that person and in a covenant that is for life and it is open to children and and lived in fidelity and that manner of thing. And you see the kinds of things that people uh, bring to this moment, and it doesn't, it's almost like play acting. And, uh, you know, we're going to have, you used the word several times, Jack, uh, almost like uh, a game we're playing. And uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's sad. It's sad to see what is happening. And, you know, I think one thing we should throw into this conversation here today is the word that uh, great uh, Pope Benedict XVI used, the phrase he used, and the homily he gave shortly before he was uh, chosen to be Pope, when he said, we live in the dictatorship of relativism. And the relativism which says, I will make my choices and what is right for me is right for me. I don't care what it is for you, uh, but it's right for me. And we see so much of that within the context of uh, people preparing for marriage and people living there. And we also see, of course, the results of that with the uh, explosion of, uh, of divorce and the breakdown of family, family breakdown of marriage. It's, uh, it's, truly one of the great threats to the stability of our society and our culture. And again, you know, I am uh, i don't spend too much time on social media, although I do recognize it. We've been reading more and more about how social media is harming uh, particularly young, young girls. Uh, they're just getting uh, bullied and all kinds of stuff going on, and they're getting poor self-images. And all these things can add up uh, into the... You know, wow, if we don't have this kind of wedding, no one's going to think we're really going to 
be married properly, you know, if we don't have you know, fireworks going off and stuff like that. Uh, it's very strange, and we see it shifting. I think, obviously, if I've been around for a while, you know, you, you, you compare it to what it was then to now. But it does look, in some cases, like it gets out of control. Uh, fortunately, in, in my extended you know, in-law family, I've seen some wonderful weddings in churches with couples who have been together. Now, that's another thing, is that anybody who is planning on getting married uh, in the Catholic Church, to a Catholic, if you're not, whatever the case may be, in most parishes, there is some kind of marriage prep that goes on, where you should avail yourself to this. You should go to these things, talk to them, They've got literature. They'll talk to you, um, explaining to you what the church's view is for what you're getting into. And this may help a little bit to kind of adjust your your perspective as to what it is, you know, because that's what it's all about. Well, you know, Jack, uh, almost every single case that the marriage tribunal handles, uh, there is an indication that these people, if they were Catholic, have been through a pre-marriage preparation. Now, here they are. They've gone through that program, but obviously uh, the marriage has collapsed. I guess the only thing you can say for that is that it might be worse if those programs weren't around. I mean, we don't know how we don't know how many people are in happy marriages precisely because they went to those marriage preparation sessions. But what we do know is that a lot of who went to those separate uh, went to those uh, preparation sessions uh, end up uh, divorced. Yeah, I, it's interesting when you start looking and step back from all this, Monsignor, uh, that the church in general and in our diocese in particular goes to extraordinary lengths to try to explain what the Catholics believe what the church is all about and, and how you should live. We have an extensive RCIA program, which is, of course, getting ready to, to finish after about nine months. It begins every fall, where at no charge, they, they, they spend time. And, and trust me, some of these priests who are there are very busy, at the, uh, as, I, as what most priests are these days, uh, to, to explain what the church believes to spend extraordinary time. This radio show uh, with our bishop, uh, having guests on, explaining what we believe, why, uh, why this is going on, what, uh, what Lent is all about, you know, things like that. We, we're spending time so people understand that this isn't uh, something mysterious, this isn't something subversive, this isn't something oddball. Um, it is a grand tradition that has been around for a long time and served very well. And in particular, the one area where I, I see a big split, we, we, know, we see it like with Christmas too. I and mean, we have Christmas people shopping, 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 shopping. And, you know, we have Advent and all the wonderful things going on there. And with Easter, it's kind of the same thing. I know, I know Bishop Callahan always gets a little upset about Easter bunnies and, <laughs> and things like that. Um, we don't have the marriage bunny, at least not yet. But um, we, we do have a, a, a basic idea as to what marriage is about which you have explained and some people seem to just kind of all they can see is the ceremony you know i'm going to go down the aisle i'm going to have 27 bridesmaids walking along with me and uh, afterwards there's going to be a marching band and uh, you know hey the reception oh man you're not going to believe that we got laser lights and we got you know everything else going on missing the real big part that at that moment it's you 
and your spouse. And nothing else is important at this point as far as the external things. Uh, it, it's a holy moment, and it's a, and it's a moment that I'm sure that you as a priest, every time you do a, a wedding, you, you, you put your whole heart and soul into it. Uh, it what, what, are there any particular parts of a, of a wedding, things that you have said or whatever, that you think are so important for people to remember? I like to think of the fact that when people make a trip to the church and end up standing in, before the altar on their wedding day, I like to say, you know, friends, uh, you are here by this altar, and here we celebrate the moment when the Lord laid down his life, gave his body, his blood, his soul, his life, his love, his everything for you. Hey, friends, have you thought about this in terms of your marriage? Jack, that's the, that's the fellow here. Jack, you're saying to Sue here, this is me my body, my blood, my life, my everything for you. And Sue is going to say to Jack, this is my life, my love, my body, my everything for you. And I say to them, you know, every time you go to Mass, you should be able to say, or you should ask yourself, is that still true of our life together? That this is my body, my life, my energy, my everything for my partner. Am I living that? And I can assure you, uh, Sue and Jack, so long as both of you are living that, you are going to have one fabulous, wonderful married life. Good, good advice, good advice. Now, the other thing I should mention is that if you have had a marriage that didn't work out, and again, you're going in for an annulment, this does not mean you are a bad person. As a matter of fact, the fact that you're going in to understand more why the, the previous uh, marriage didn't work out, uh, is showing that you're actually a pretty good person because you're trying to, to refresh yourself and understand what's going on. There is actually kind of like a trial, isn't there? Now, the, you, the, the people involved are not, <laughs> they're not standing there in the, in the witness box you know, with your, your former husband or wife. That, that, that's not what it's like. This is all done confidentially behind doors, uh, with written testimony, and uh, and who who says what to who? What, what who are involved in this uh, this very private and and actually separate uh, separate event? Well, someone is going to do a in depth interview of the person who's made the petition, and uh, that person also has to produce a couple of witnesses to uh, affirm or agree with. Uh, at least the major issues that have been involved in this broken marriage relationship. And when that stuff is all together, then there's another person who enters into this, and that's the man by the, with the title of Defender of the Bond. That man's job is to make every argument he possibly can for the validity of the marriage. And he has he looks at all of the testimony that has been gathered and uh, picks out of there the things that tells him, yeah, they had trouble, they broke up, they got a divorce, but here is all the things that uh, indicate this was a valid marriage and therefore these people are not, or this person 
is not in a position where they can enter marriage in the church because there's a marriage standing there already. And when the defender of the bond has written up his statement about things, then finally it comes back to the person who is the judge. And he has to study all of the uh, testimony that had been gathered from the petitioner, also, by the way, from the respondent. But in our experience, uh, the respondent testimony is uh, not frequently uh, something that uh, adds much to the story at all. Many of the respondents simply choose not to be involved in any, in any way except to indicate they received a letter asking if they wanted to be uh, involved, and they write back and say no. So that's pretty much the end of that person's involvement. Yeah. Then when all of this is together, then finally uh, it, comes, uh, it comes to the judge and he looks through everything and has to make a decision as to whether it was a valid or an invalid union. I must think that given the, uh, the way that currently people are, are sometimes uh, really taking a very strange view of what marriage is about, that, that you're going to find a lot of causes for the marriage is not happening. I, several years ago, I was doing tutoring on digital cameras, and I would have somebody come in for an hour. You know, they sh I show them how to work the camera. And this young uh, person came in and uh, bought a pretty nice camera. She bought the camera on Wednesday. She was seeing me on Thursday uh, for me to show her how to operate it. And then she told me she was photographing a wedding on Saturday. And I said to her at the end, I said, you realize that this idea, you bought this camera on Wednesday, you, I'm here on, on, on Thursday showing you how it works, you're photographing a, a wedding on, 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 on Saturday, um, this is really not a great idea. And she said, I know the people, the marriage isn't going to last anyway. And you know, I just kind of was aghast. You know, it's kind of like if it was this obvious to all around that this was probably not the best thing in the world. And maybe they should have gone to a marriage prep thing. And maybe, maybe in some cases people are talked out of getting married. And maybe that's the best thing in the world for them. Or told, wait a few more years. Get more established. Get to know each other better. Uh, it's also problems if they've been living together for a year and a half or something like that. I don't know what you do about that. I don't, you know, well, this is it's uh, this business of uh, cohabitation before marriage, which is so common, is uh, one of the things that uh, results in many marriages that should never happen because during that couple of years of uh, cohabitation, there's a lot of infatuation, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of uh, of uh, partying, there might be drinking, there might be drugs, there might be all kinds of things that are holding these two people together. And finally they say, well, we've been together for so long, why don't we get married? Well, that's hardly the kind of mind that is saying yes to the vocation to marriage with the right uh, intent and the right motivation. And those are the kinds of marriages we have to deal with uh, rather routinely. And, you know, the, one of the things that should be mentioned here is that we have people who uh, get terribly excited about the fact that uh, 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 a nominal marriage, I, you cannot know that. I try to tell them, look, the damage was done when the divorce happened. 
right now we're trying to heal someone's uh, capacity to enter more fully into the church in which uh, he or she was baptized originally and uh, they can't really enter into marriage at all in the church except we take care of this poorly uh, motivated marriage that lasted two years after they had lived together for two years uh, without marriage. There comes a time sometimes when you you, you have been cohabiting and uh, uh, suddenly when you get married you're thinking you should be taking on more responsibilities, and especially if a child comes along. This is, of course, this is just you know, earth-shattering um, kind of thing, and you've got to start thinking about this child, what what's going to happen to this child. Uh, but these days it is uh, so difficult when there's so many people who maybe even their parents have not been attending church or have much thoughts about religious life whatsoever as far as going to church, you, you know, you go to them for, for advice, and they go, well, I don't know, <laughs> what you know, what do you do? Uh, so we've got this uh, almost a generational uh, slippage going on, where uh, people would almost look at you a little strangely if you say, you know, we're going to get married in a small church. It's just a an intimate ceremony with the immediate family and a few friends. You know, and uh, people go, oh, you're doing what? <laughs> you're you're not going to book a a music hall to, to to celebrate the whole thing and have a brass band playing? Come on, you know what are you doing? Or they'll think, wow, that couple must be really be poor if they can't afford twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, uh, I had a, a at the same time I was getting married back way back when. I had a relative, you know, young man getting married, and my, my father uh, liked to to occasionally needle me a little bit. I was living in a rural area. He, the other guy's living out near New York. And he was talking about how uh, this guy is going to, they're going to have a, a stretch Rolls Royce rented, and they're going to have a jazz combo playing. And they're gonna, he kept talking about this, uh, this you know, $100,000 Rolls Royce he was going to rent. And finally, one day, I said to my dad, I said, you know, Dad, if I hear about this one more time, my wife and I will go to our wedding at a 200,000 John Deere combine. <laughs> he never mentioned it again. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's just amazing. I, I, I like simple weddings, simple sacraments, uh, you know, things, things done with, with a focus on what you're getting involved in and really not all the distractions that are going on. Um, this is the thing is there are so many things that they've added on to the wedding that must be. Uh, I was looking at something just recently where you could rent this thing. It's a circular platform that like three bridesmaids or whoever can stand on facing in different directions. This thing rotates around slowly while three iPhones photograph them to make this three-dimensional video of them. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like... What does this have got to do with you two getting married? <laughs> you know, this is this is all becoming basically a a, a, a show on YouTube, um, which is going to be one of about two hundred thousand. They all look pretty much the same. Yeah. There's what so much. Stuff. <laughs> I just heard of something that uh, really blew me away, where a Catholic person and a non-Catholic getting married, and uh, searching for a date. And the only date they could uh, uh, nail down for the time of the year in which they wanted, to happen, wanted it to happen was, catch this, 
Good Friday. And so they're going to have the big wedding on Good Friday. And uh, the Catholic uh, person involved wants all the relatives and friends to show up on that day when it's supposed to be a day of fast and abstinence and quiet and reflection on the death of the Lord. But hey, we are in a period of history in our nation right now where religious uh, rules mean that less is, and less. They yeah, mean less that is so, yeah, we talked with Bishop Callahan about Good Friday so many times over the years about how to a person who is aware of the day, there is a sense, especially around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, where things get really quiet. Businesses close temporarily. It's it's palpable. I mean, you can just feel it. And <laughs> I, I to mix in with here comes the bride. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I I don't know the Via Dolorosa and here comes the bride walking down the aisle. Um, don't mix. That doesn't work real well. You know. Uh, but again, and and I'm not excusing this, but if they have no concept of what the day is about because they never learned anything about it. Uh, that's one thing. If they're aware of it, and they're saying, yeah, but it's the only day we could book the wedding, surely they could have waited another month. There had to be an opening somewhere. Somebody somewhere would have gotten sick or gotten COVID-19 or something, you know, and they could have gotten a break on the rental. But uh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's Probably the only reason they were able to tie down this date is because everybody else with a little bit of sense said not that date. Not I can't Friday. imagine, yeah, and I can't imagine who's going to go to the wedding. <laughs> where, where is everybody? <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. But it is an example of the separation uh, between uh, the sacrament of marriage and how, and how the church you know, stands tall with that. And what is unfortunately permeating a lot of the, the commercial society, and I have to believe that a lot of this stuff is driven by groups that just want to extract more money from you. That they're spending an extraordinary amount of time trying to figure out a way to make that wedding more expensive. And a lot of them succeed in making the marriage very expensive. <laughs> yeah, I have not been to one of those lately. I have not been to an, I have not been to a super wedding. I don't I've not been to a destination wedding, you know. Uh, thank goodness, but uh, uh, yeah, I just it's it's very uh, it's unsettling because uh, it it has all of the uh, you know the uh, effects of uh, you know one of these uh, auditions where people auditioned their singing thing to see if they could become the, the greatest singing star or whatever. There's something too uh, too showbiz about it, but that's because people are totally raised on showbiz and everything is sensational now and everything has to be sparkling and bright. And boy, the subtleties of a, a real marriage ceremony in the church is is awesome. I mean, there's so many components to it that are just gorgeous, followed by a mass afterwards. I mean, I'm sorry, this is going to have a lot more staying power than than the, the biggest three um, D laser show you could put on YouTube. I mean, that's all there is to it. Uh, what if, if a person? Okay, let's back up a little bit. If a person is hearing this and they and they want to have a talk with their kids, <laughs> good luck with that. Mom, we're getting married and we're going to do this and do that. How would you approach them and and, and say to them, uh, 
Guys, uh, let's think about this for a minute. What, what would be the first thing you would say? Well, I guess the first thing I would say would be, do you realize even the beginnings of the importance of this moment for you? You know, weddings uh, can be easily manufactured to be joyous and uh, memorable days, but there's hardly anything more devastating to the human spirit and the human soul than uh, a divorce in which you what you had expended so much emotional and mental and psychological and physical energy on suddenly is all ashes and uh, it's all finished it's done you can't stand to see each other and uh, you want out this is altogether more damaging to the human spirit than is the momentary high that one gets from some super uh any super uh, powered wedding day. That's a funny thing. Divorce turns out to be uh, what the marriage is supposed to have been. Divorce is a, almost a lifelong memory that you don't want to, you can't get rid of because so much of what you had invested is suddenly uh, gone and uh, said depressing memory. Yeah, it is a sad, depressing memory. Years ago, uh, I was living in Minneapolis, and uh, somebody asked me to photograph, uh, I thought it was a going-away party, retirement party, or something like that. So I went there with my camera. And it was a guy who had gotten divorced, and they were having, uh, well, a bunch of guys with him uh, were having a divorce party, and they had a cake. And, and, and they were trying to make light of it. And you could just tell that this guy was miserable. He was just miserable, you know, and they were trying to kind of cheer him up, but cut the cake. It was just, you know, it was almost obscene. Uh, and I felt bad for the guy because he didn't want to participate in this kind of thing. But, you know, his buddies were, were there for him and he felt obligated to go to it, that kind of thing. So it's true. It is. And again, you know, if a person has been through a divorce, uh, the process of going through the annulment process through the church can be liberating. It's not going to take away the hurt but it might offer some insight and understanding as to why things happen so you don't feel so bad about yourself. I've heard it uh, said more than a few times. If I had thought as much about uh, our life together before marriage as I have now, I know we would never have gotten married. So we got it. We didn't really understand, know each other, and we didn't have any serious uh, thoughts about uh, the implications of the demands and uh, of marriage, and so we just jumped into it because it looked like a lot of fun. You know? <laughs> I think the magic word here is infatuation is lovely, but by golly, watch out for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was a line in the old, uh, there's an old David Susskind produced movie called Lovers and Other Strangers. And uh, there was a couple in this, and they were from the Catholic, uh, a Catholic family. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the wife was saying, when we first got married, I always loved so much to smell his hair because it smelled so much like raisins. I don't know, one day it, it, it didn't smell like raisins anymore. And, <laughs> you know, it was just... 
It was a very good film. It was very dated right now, but uh, um, it had a lot of good lines in it, uh, and uh, it was actually very apropos back in 1968, and still has some stuff in it today that uh, that would be very uh, very appropriate as well. B. Arthur, who later played Maud on TV, played the matriarch mom in this family, and she's giving these newlywed kids advice, and she says, "Listen to me. Don't look for happiness." It will only make you miserable. What are some of the first steps? Now, if somebody, I don't know, at some point, somebody is going to say, they're, they're sitting talking and they're, they're saying, you know, okay, this is it. We're, we have to split up. And maybe somebody's already moved out of the house. Maybe that's the case. The time goes by and then they meet somebody else. And hopefully they will go to marriage prep. But uh, as far as the timeline... If they want to get married in six months, for example, is that enough time to to get the annulment process going and get through with it? Well, if there were no other cases on, uh, on the docket, probably so. I would never tell people, uh, you know, uh, that uh, you can plan on your marriage in six months. Uh, this case will start here today. We'll be finished then. It may well be, but I'm not going to say this should plan on marriage because it may well not be as, as well, you know, because there are complications. That how much response are we going to get from the respondent? And if that person gets uh, much involved, immediately uh, extends the time uh, that we need to process a case. How quickly and how generously are, you, are the... Uh, are the uh, witnesses going to uh, respond to the requests for their participation? Uh, that manner of, uh, that can take a lot of time to get the witnesses uh, lined up and uh, produce what a witness is supposed to produce. So, uh, no, six. don't say six months, uh, but rather say, uh, <laughs> well, it'll be done when it's done. And I can tell you this, we work at getting the cases out as quickly as possible. And I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say we did get things out in six months, uh, because we have. But that's because uh, through the last half of uh, 2022, we had uh, relatively few uh, petitions. So uh, consequently, they moved rather quickly through the process because there was nothing uh, blocking the process. On the other hand, uh, the last, uh, the first two months of this year, we have really a significant increase in the number of cases coming in. Now, normally we get more cases at this time of the year because people have a sense that hey, uh, I'm on this RCIA business and uh, I want to get, as soon as uh, the annulment comes through, we're going to have a nice Catholic marriage and they think it's going to be done by Easter. Well, face it, it's not going to be done by Easter. And uh, they'll have to uh, wait until sometime into the summer, <laughs> early fall for a wedding. So uh, uh, the timeline uh can vary a great deal, mostly in well, in terms of how many cases we have, and in terms of how the people involved in this particular case 
uh, respond to uh, petitions to produce mm-hmm. their, their story. You know, Father, we uh, got a few minutes left to go, but very few actually. I want to just change uh, topic just for a second. We are in this, uh, this weekend is the, the second weekend of Lent. Uh, if you had uh, just a minute or two, could you give us just a, uh, a couple of things we should be thinking about uh, during the Lenten season? Well, what to be thinking about during the Lenten season? Lent is a gritty time of the year in the church calendar, and the grittiness of it has to do with penance and self-denial. The grittiness of it is really exemplified by the fact that we start the year with ashes on our forehead, and if the priest or the deacon or whoever administers the uh, little cross uh, on our forehead, if they pushes a little bit, you can feel the grittiness of it. And uh, that's the beginning of a gritty season that Christ himself lived, as we saw in the gospel this past Sunday, of uh, the uh, Christ uh, trip out into the desert and being faced with all manner of temptation by the evil one, huh? and the grittiness increases as the season goes along. And the, <laughs> this this was clearly exemplified for me when I heard someone say on the third day of Lent, "I'm sick and tired of this self-denial stuff." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yes, this is a gritty season, and you're feeling, you're already feeling the grit, you know." <laughs> but that's it's a gritty season for the. Yeah. The purpose of conversion, and we see Christ living out of the grittiness on Good Friday. Good enough, good enough. Monsignor Robert Hunt is the judicial vicar for the Diocese of La Crosse, along with many other things as well. And uh, we've been talking about a very serious topic, and we hope that we have uh, well explained a bit as to why it even exists as something in the diocese uh, that they spend a lot of time with, because they care about you. That's the bottom line. They care about you. They care about marriage. They care about your future marriage as well. And again, do not hesitate to contact the diocese if you have any questions whatsoever. They are more than happy to talk to you. Do not be afraid to talk to them. Everything is confidential. Everything is careful. Um, They're not going to look down upon you or anything like that because, trust me, they've seen it all, (laughs) and especially Monsignor here. Monsignor, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Jack. Delighted to be able to speak these kinds of things to, I hope, people who can profit from it. Yes, I think so as well. Thanks for being here. We'll be right back with more after this on Connecting the Diocese. I always enjoy Monsignor Hunt because he always leaves us something to think about. He mentioned towards the end there the grittiness of Lent. You know, we are people who know how the story ends because... Well, we know it already, but back then people didn't know what was happening during those many, many days leading up to the crucifixion. Maybe we'll talk about that in a later show. If you're looking for Lenten devotions, something to kind of get you in the grittiness of the season, I do suggest you go to our website for the Diocese of La Crosse, D-I-O-L-C dot org, and you will find all kinds of reflections. You'll find the bishop's message. You'll find homilies that are there that you can look at all kinds of material to help you out with basically thinking more about what the 40 days are all about. Another place closer to home to look is right at your home parish in their literature rack. It's sometimes in the narthex or elsewhere. Generally speaking, they are a curated selection. That is to say, 
a priest or a deacon or someone has looked over them to make sure something strange hasn't been stuck in surreptitiously, and you may find some prayers or other devotions that are just exactly what you're looking for. So between the diocesan website and your local parish, there's a lot of information out there. And don't forget also that on the diocesan website, diolc.org, you can leave prayer requests as well. Always a good thing, and believe me, they are looked at and they are prayed over. If you want to get hold of us, you can drop us a note at connecting at diolc.org. And many of the past shows, as many as the past hundred of them, are also available for you to listen to by going to diolc.org slash connecting. They're MP3 audio files. You can download them. There's no cost. You haven't got to register. You haven't got to give your email address, things like that. Or you can listen to them online. Plenty of things to help you, as well as upcoming shows of Connecting the Diocese that you're listening to right now. Jack Sosha here with you on Connecting the Diocese. You know, sometimes you may think that we're making fun of modern weddings, and maybe in some cases we are, but I guess my goal is to focus on some aspects of the wedding that are really lasting, so you don't look back at certain things the same way that we now look back at, well, mall hair. Sometimes a small and completely sincere gesture will be much longer lasting than anyone can imagine. My future sister-in-law, Lucy, went to some craft store someplace and she found the makings to make little silk roses. They had a little stem made of green pipe cleaner with a little fake leaf on it and she carefully sewed the little rosebud so that you could put rice in the center of it. Back in those days, people still scattered rice. And she made quite a few of these and she gave them to the various people at the wedding. And as we came out of the church, they would hold them by the little stem and they would kind of shake them and then the rice would come out. Well, all these years later, we have a couple of things. We have a shadow box with souvenirs of our wedding. And of course we have one in there. And I have another one in another shadow box with a whole bunch of just personal stuff that I'm really keeping. And I've got one of those in there as well. It means a great deal to me because I didn't have a sister before then. And the fact that she, well, she knew me, but not super well, that she made this for us with her own hands to show that she really welcomed me and she loved us both was really meaningful. Those little artificial rosebuds are even more meaningful today because my sister-in-law Lucy passed away late last year. And yes, we have pictures of her. And yes, we have tons of memories about her and tons of stories to tell. But to have one of these little rosebuds that she made with her own hands specifically for us, specifically for our wedding day, was just something that transcends anything that you can buy in a store, anything a wedding planner can provide to you, anything practically you can think of except perhaps for your wedding rings and your vows. So when you're making your wedding plans, think about the things that really last, that you really value, not the things that are transitory or perhaps are a fad or perhaps a gimmick that uh, they're trying to do so that you can even get more clicks on YouTube. And if you want to see what I'm talking about, just go over to YouTube and type the word wedding in. You will see hundreds of wedding videos. It's really hard to tell which ones are some kind of fake thing from some reality TV show and which ones are just regular people trying to look famous. One thing that does seem to 
hold up the test of time is the Here Comes the Bride song, and you may wonder where that came from. Well, despite all the other changes, one thing that seems to be holding up for a lot of weddings is when the bride is walking down the aisle, the Here Comes the Bride song is frequently played, sometimes on a piano, sometimes on an organ. But did you know that it was actually written by Richard Wagner? Yeah, the guy who did the Ride of Valkyrie and other things for one of his operas. So I'm leaving you with a little bit of it so you can hear what it sounds like when it's really done right and uh, enjoy it as well. And we will catch you next week right here on Connecting the Diocese. <laughs>